This program is brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. At SoundsTrue.com, you can find hundreds of downloadable audio learning programs, plus books, music, videos, and online courses and events. At SoundsTrue.com, we think of ourselves as a trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today my guest is Reverend Michael Bernard Beckwith, whom I call MBB for short. Michael is the founder and spiritual director of the Agape International Spiritual Center, a transdenominational in Los Angeles that currently has over 10,000 members. He's the founder of the University of Transformational Studies and Leadership and an international speaker and teacher of meditation. He has also appeared on The Oprah Winfrey Show and Larry King Live. With Sounds True, Michael Bernard Beckwith has created several audio learning programs, including a three-session audio course on your soul's evolution and a six-session audio course on living from the overflow. He's also the author of a brand new book from Sounds True on life visioning, a transformative process for activating your unique gifts and highest potential. In this episode of Insights at the Edge, Michael and I focused on his new book, Life Visioning. We talked about the four evolutionary stages of the development of consciousness and how the life visioning process works in each stage. We also talked about some of the biggest obstacles people experience with life visioning and the importance of unconditional love as the atmosphere for the life visioning process. Here's my conversation with pioneering teacher and beautiful human, Michael Bernard Beckwith. You've developed a model, a four-stage progressive evolutionary model that's really the basis of much of your life visioning teaching. And to begin with, I'd love to know how this model occurred to you, how you developed it. The model occurred to me as I was teaching. I was on a faculty member at uh, the School of Ministry a number of years ago, and uh, students would um, ask questions about what they thought were contradictions in the teachings. They would read in the various textbooks that um, if your mind could conceive it, you could achieve it. Um, On other parts of the textbooks, they would read, surrender your life to this presence. And for them, it appeared like there was a contradiction. On one hand, uh, if you can can see it, you can attain it. You can have it. Name what you want and, and claim it. On the other hand, you should surrender your life to this, this presence that is, that is everywhere. And so uh, spontaneously one day I went to the blackboard and um, I said, we're not dealing with contradiction, we're, t- we're dealing with an, an evolutionary, an evolution of consciousness from being a victim to learning how to take control of our life uh, through uh, monitoring our thinking all the way to uh, uh, un- an understanding that there are universal laws that uh, that govern uh, reality, that govern creation, that govern manifestation. 
until we get to a point where we can then surrender to the order that's already there. Uh, and then ultimately having a realization that the only life that there is is the life of God or the life of intelligence, whatever name we choose to call it. So the four stages basically emerged as an exclamation to students to show that we're not dealing with contradictions. We're dealing more with an evolutionary of, of, uh, evolution of thought. And thus they became more and more, it became, the conversation became more and more perfected with every round of teaching, with every round of questioning, until finally it became more formalized as the four stages of spiritual growth, development, and unfoldment. Of course, we know there's more than four stages, but for the sake of um, conversation and teaching, I just narrowed them down to four. Now, first of all, I just want to underscore, I think this is a pretty big breakthrough, actually, that you're describing what appears to so many people as things they don't get, paradox, oh, that's just a paradox, but that you're describing it as a stage model of development. I think that's a big breakthrough. I think so too, and 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 once the, the students begin to, begin to grasp that, they also begin to understand that when they ask a question, they can kind of see where they're asking their question from. Are they asking their question from being a victim to life? Why me? Why is this happening to me? Or are they asking the question from the stage two aspect, where they're learning how to manifest? and learning how to um, monitor their thinking and see correctly and visualize and this type of thing. Or they're asking their question from uh, stage three where they're learning how to yield and release. They can kind of, so I I challenge them to to notice where they're asking their question from before they ask the question. And, uh, And they can also begin to notice what parts of their life uh, do they see themselves as uh, living in the stage of, of being victimized by external circumstances? Which part of, what part of their life are, do they see themselves living in the zone where there's something that's operating through them that's, uh, uh, that, they're, that, they're, that they're witnessing a, a level of perfection that's operating through them? And what aspect of their life are they like uh, visualizing and seeing what they want? And uh, it just it becomes kind of a a way by which they can um, observe themselves and uh, begin to, 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 to notice themselves at a much higher level. Okay, now just to be very clear for our listeners, the way that you've described these four stages is that we begin in a victim stage of consciousness, move to a manifester stage, to what you call the channel stage, and then the being stage. And if you will, let's just go through it slowly. I'd love to know how I progress in my life from one stage to the next. So if I'm going to move from victim to manifester, let's start there. Right. Generally speaking, the, the, the victim has the tendency to think that something outside of themselves determines their destiny, determines their happiness, their joy, their prosperity, whatever the case may be. And so they have a tendency to believe that it's an external god, it's a devil, it's their astrological chart, it's their previous boss, it's their parents, whatever the case may be. But they generally have a blame story as well, that uh, if something's going wrong with their life, they can generally point to something outside of themselves and say, if it, if it wasn't for the way I was brought up, if it wasn't for the society, if it wasn't for this or that, I would be happy. And so uh, they're living life 
at the at at at, at the effect of an external authority figure or an external circumstance. Now, in order to move from the stage of being the victim, generally it happens in two ways. Uh, either pain. I, I, in, in, in the book, I talk about the fact that pain pushes until the vision pulls. That sometimes an individual has a tremendous amount of pain in their life, which makes them begin to search, become introspective, ask different kind of questions, or they have an insight that, that allows them to see that there's a higher order of being. And to move from being a victim to learning how to manifest in your life, the victim has to give up a blame story. And one of the most empower, empowering things that they can begin to do is, is the practice of forgiveness, forgiving what they think has happened to them, forgiving the people that they think has, has done something to them. And forgiveness, of course, strengthens you and bring, gives you your power back. And that's one of the beginning stages. And then they learn valuable tools in stage two. They learn the basic metaphysical tools of learning how to, how to see rightly, how to, how to use your creative imagination to imagine a better life for yourself, to see a better world for yourself, to use the power of visualization and affirmation and right conversation and monitor your thinking and embracing the emotions that you have right now and seeing that you're not those emotions, but those emotions are passing through you. These are all things that you learn at the stage two awareness. And after a while, an individual can become adept at learning how to manifest by monitoring their thinking, seeing things correctly, embracing a higher order of conversation, better life-enhancing uh, habits, etc., until they are pretty much um, using the laws of manifestation to strengthen the structures of their life, the structures being a higher level of prosperity, higher level of health of the body temple, the mental body, the emotional body, our relationships, the body of our affairs. We begin to no longer be victimized by external circumstances, but we can begin to see that our mind is very powerful, and our thinking is very powerful and has a lot to do with our perception and it has a lot to do with our experience. And that's coming into a level of, 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 of mastery at, at this at stage two level. Moving then from two to three? Let's keep going. Moving from two to three, what, what happens is uh, when an individual begins to manifest and begin to see really that there are laws in the universe that, that your thought... Is, is the thoughts are real. They're units of mental energy, as I describe them, and that uh, a, a, min, a unit of mental energy can actually transmute itself into perception and then experience. People begin to either consciously or unconsciously know that we really are governed by law and that, and that there's an order that we can all depend on. The, the universe is not nilly-willy. It's not chaotic. There really is an underlying order behind everything, even though it appears to be chaotic at times. And, at, and when that begins to happen, there begins to emerge a willingness to surrender, to let go, to allow, to yield. These words kind of creep in. They're a more feminine. Stage two is more masculine. I can do it. I, I, I can make it happen. Uh, if I can, if my if my mind can conceive it, I can achieve it. I can accomplish it. Stage three is more 
uh, stage two is I'll make it happen. Stage three is I'll make it welcome. So it's more of a yielding and allowing, but it's based upon the awareness that there's an order in the universe that you've proven to yourself through stage two mastery. So it's not blind faith. You know, some individuals have a kind of a, a, a religious blind faith. They just kind of just, uh, uh, I just surrender my life to God or something to that effect without having any understanding of what that may even be. Uh, but through stage two mastery, you begin to understand that there is a presence, there is a unitive awareness that doesn't compromise itself nor contradict itself. And so the surrender is based upon real work that you've done on stage two. So you can let go. So when you hear phrases like, I let go and let life, or I let go and let God, it's not from blind faith, it's from an awareness that there really is an order there. And, and, and we reclaim the word surrender, uh, heretofore, people have been afraid of the word because uh, they have a misbegotten notion about some presence uh, called God that, you know, if I surrender my life to God, that's going to mean that uh, uh, maybe God's will for me is to be poor and unhappy for the rest of my life. But when we understand uh, 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 through this kind of inner work that this presence can't compromise itself and that the will of God, if we can use that language really means a greater expression of life. That if we could say, what is the will of God? I would say the will of God is always for a greater expression of life, a greater expression of love, a greater expression of beauty and creativity and the infinite nature of life. Now when we're surrendering, what are we surrendering to? We're surrendering to the next stage of our own evolution. We're surrendering to the, the what's trying to emerge in our own life. So everyone has had the the experience of being in the zone, either an athlete or a poet or an orator or a surgeon or a writer, where suddenly uh, beyond their preparation that they've done mentally, something seems to take them over, and they're witnessing uh, a greater life that is their life operating and doing things of excellence that is beyond their preparation. That's more of a stage three level. You've surrendered to something that's trying to happen through you. And, um, and then our, our inner work becomes more and more um, allowing ourselves to be open to those kind of moments where it, it is our life, but there's an added factor. Something else is, is, is coming through us. Stage two, we're clearly seeing what we want, describing it, we're evoking the law, of you don't uh, see, uh, you don't describe what you see, you see what you describe, that's visualization. In stage three, something's operating through you beyond your imagination. So I often say uh, stage two is uh, if you can see it, you can have it. Stage three, beyond what you can see, beyond your imagination, it, uh, good begins to flow into your life. And that's where the juice is. That's where the uh, that's where the real, uh, uh, really juicy, delicious stuff is, beyond what you can imagine. Because whatever you can imagine is still a form of limitation, regardless of how good it is. But beyond what you can imagine is really touching the next stage of your own evolution. Now you call stage three channel consciousness, and you say that there's yes. a thin line between 
channel consciousness and stage four, which is being consciousness. So help us understand that thin line. Right. Stage three, uh, there's there's oftentimes still a little bit of separation, a feeling of separation or perception of separation between us and life itself. And we can call life God, we can call it intelligence, beauty, whatever whatever name we want to call this 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 presence that is that is everywhere in its fullness, omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, omniactive. And and there's there's a thin line and and oftentimes um you know I was I was speaking to a, a, a surgeon at one time and uh he's a heart surgeon and he was explaining at one point he was doing a very intricate uh, a surgery that really had never done this type of surgery before, and uh, it was his, it fell it fell upon him to do it, and something happened where something took him over and he was witnessing himself do this surgery. Of course, it was his hands; it was his surgical procedure, all of the anatomy and everything he had studied. He it came to bear, but he was witnessing the surgery. And so there was a little thin separation between him and the action that was taking place, even though he was doing the action, if you understand what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. And so there's still a little bit of separation in that channel. Something is operating through us. I can remember sometimes when I'm speaking, particularly a number of years ago, I would go into a zone and I could really see something operating through me. And then there are moments where this, this line disappears and it's me, this presence is me, and uh, the line is gone, and we can actually say, I am this presence, and so uh, individuals, I ask individuals sometimes to notice when they're meditation, when they're meditating, or when they're praying, sometimes they'll notice that they're praying, but there's a little bit of a feeling of that they're praying to something, and that little bit of feeling of praying to something is that line of separation. And then there are moments where the line disappears and we realize, oh my God, I'm praying from something. I'm, I'm aware that this life, is, it's my life. You see, and it's not that I am God, but it is that all that I am is God. All that I am is life. And so it's not uh, narcissism. It's not egocentric, it's just an awareness that there's no other life but this one life, and and the line gets thinner and thinner. And there are probably individuals, uh, if they think about it or they remember, there where they have moments where that line disappeared, even if it was a nanosecond, where suddenly, mm, there's, there's nothing else but this life, you see. And so stage three and four, I believe, are the stages where we speak about individuals like uh, the Buddha, we speak about individuals like uh, Jesus the Christ, or individuals like like that, who live primarily in stage three and four, and uh, mastered stage two, but live primarily in stage three and four. And... um, well, it seems like part of your thesis is that everyday people can also start living in stages three and four as the primary focus of their life. 
Absolutely. Particularly, I mean, I think it really happens more like grace. You can't force it. But through inner work, the vision process itself, which is a meditative technology, you're giving yourself permission uh, and, and you're setting an intention, intention not being willful, but directional, to live at that level. And because it's not blind faith, but it's based upon the, the inner work that you've done on stage two, you can relax into it. You can let it. And then you find yourself more and more having insights, having revelations, having a level of wisdom and guidance and direction, not coming from your planning mind, uh, not coming from figuring something out, uh, but more the intuition is being activated. And there's an allowing in state. You're becoming more of a vehicle for something to occur and then setting yourself up for more of that demarcation to dissolve. Now, thank you for taking the time to lay out the four-stage model because I have several questions about it. And now that it's clear, I think it'll be easy for these questions to be comprehensible for people. So the first one is, when you have a teaching, like let's say we use two different examples from two different levels, something like the secret that's focused on manifester consciousness. Yes. That's how it is. That's how the world works. It seems to me that that can create some confusion for people because we're only looking at one stage and acting like it's the total picture. So I'm curious what your thoughts are. And we'll use as an example, though, teachings where we're only looking at being consciousness. That's it. We don't have a separate self anymore. We don't need the laws of the universe. We're beyond it all. So I'm curious here in this stage model, what you think of potentially the dangers of teachings that only focus on one stage. Yeah, I think that's a, a, a great question because what I try to let people know is that you're, you're a spiritual being having a human incarnation. And having a human incarnation, we are to um, basically seek to master all of these domains. And um, so individual, so stage two, to me, I mean, like, the, like, for instance, the secret, that's entry level into teaching people that they can begin to participate in their own destiny. They can begin to notice that they don't have to be victimized by their past, by familial influences, societal influences, etc. And, and, and once you get that, you can't stop there. Even though the, the danger of that, and you're asking what the danger is, the danger is that people become addicted to stage two manifestation. And unless they're involved with the evolution of their soul faculty, they become addicted to manifesting, and they end up um, uh, hoarding. They, end, they, can, they can become greedy. They can become um, uh, individuals that become materialistic, spiritually materialistic, using these mental laws to get more and more stuff, uh, this type of thing, rather than understanding that these laws are for the purpose of what I call stabilizing the structures of your life so that you can be freer to tap into the, uh, uh, the powers of your soul so that you, you begin to release your gifts and your talents and your capacities to be what I call a beneficial presence on the planet. Now, teachings that deal just with the absolute, just, just being itself, the danger of that is that people can go into lofty states of consciousness and not manifest, not be earthly good. I can remember a number of years ago in my own life, I had a, a tremendous awakening, 
and uh, was very aware of my oneness with life. And for there was a period of time where I wasn't integrated, and I didn't, really didn't care about the human incarnation. I didn't care about money. I didn't care about too much of anything other than staying in these blissful, expanded states. And at some point, the fact that I had uh, a, a child and and had bills and uh, a body temple, I had to integrate and discover why I, why I took a human inc- incarnation in the first place. And so then uh, not giving up the higher state of being, had to integrate and learn how to manifest, to be in this world, to make a difference in this world, and to find my way in this world to release my gifts, my talents, and the, the reason why I chose the incarnation. So it's not an either-or, it's, it's, it's a both-and. It's, it's, it's being able to manifest, yes, but for the purpose of being a, a, a presence on the planet and releasing our gifts and talents and, and inner capacities. You mentioned an awakening that happened that brought you into stage four consciousness for a period of time. Can you tell me what happened? Well, it's hap- it happens happened on more than one occasion. The, the first time, well, as an adult, when it when it happened was <clears throat> when I had a, a lucid dream and was was killed in that dream. I've talked about that from time to time, and my reality, as I knew it, shattered, and the perceptual my per- the, the windows of perception opened up, and I could see that we were surrounded by this presence of such luminosity and beauty and, and intelligence. And there was no place where where it began and I left off and, and I began and it left off. We were one and the same and it was everywhere. It was in all of life. And that totally just shifted everything in my life. And I went on a search to discover what had happened to me. And then over periods of time, I would, I would go into... Um, this periods of just deep luminosity and light and 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 um, rhythms of intelligence and and information would flow, and it was just so uh, blissful and so beautiful, and uh, that's all that mattered to me for period long periods of time. Uh, uh, people thought I had freaked out, and my parents were a bit concerned about me, and uh, it was a very interesting time in my life. I was I was fine with it. Um, I was happy, and. Um, and that that began, uh, you know, just for me to, to foray into the discovery of the uh, the teachings of, of the great masters and the mystics and the mystical traditions. Um, but at some point, I had to realize that I have a human incarnation, and it's not accidental that I have a human incarnation, and that there's a reason for me to be here, not just to sit in a full lotus position and to meditate all day, even though that does have a benefit to myself and benefit to the planet, there must have been some other reason. And so there had to be an integration process. And and I began to um, integrate uh, so that I could bring this, this state of consciousness into, into something that would um, uh, be beneficial to the planet and to the people around me. Now, do you think it's possible for somebody to be at one stage in one part of their life and another stage in another part of their life? Like, you know, when it comes to relationships, I certainly feel like a victim. Seems like I always get dumped. But when it comes to my work life, I don't know. It's just I'm a vessel for life to move through me. Absolutely. You can have a, a, a definitely a, a level of, of competence in one level where it's just things just flow through you. It's almost as if you're not thinking. 
and you have a level of excellence, and on another level, you can be victimized. Absolutely. And that's why the, the, the four stages are not really a linear model. It's a more of an emergent model, and you may find that in one level of your life, you are a victim or you feel victimized or one level of your life you feel that you have to really see and visualize what you want and take control of your mind. Another level of your life, it just comes very naturally and you just find yourself having a level of such uh, excellence, such competence that you very rarely think about it. It's just you can you have a level of mastery in that area. Absolutely. Now, you may think this is a curious question, but sometimes in organizational life, a business life, a publishing life, I'm thinking of Sounds True, and other organizations that appeal to an audience. They say, you know, know your level that you're speaking to. Like, are you addressing people who are at the manifestor level? Are you addressing people who are at the channel or being level? Who are you talking to? Because you have to language things to that audience. And one of the things that I think is so unique about you, Reverend Beckwith, is that in your agape ministry, you seem to have found a way to talk to people at all different levels. And I'm curious if you can speak to that. You know, I, I can't tell you how I do it, but I can tell you that I'm aware that when I stand up to speak, I am conscious that there is somebody that walked in that's very new to the human and spiritual potential movement. And I'm also very aware that there's somebody sitting there that's been meditating for 30 years. And then all the the consciousness in between that. I'm aware of that. So there's certain, so when I'm speaking, there's certain things that I say that are, are very basic and fundamental. And that are they're, they're fundamental enough that even the most advanced practitioner of meditation or visioning will need to hear it every week. And there are certain things that I'm saying that are nuanced that the, the beginner may not understand what I'm saying, but it's, it's, it's a nuance. I'm, I'm saying something, but the advanced practitioner will understand the nuance of what I'm saying, but the beginner will understand uh, the, the gross aspect of what I'm saying. And, uh, and then a number of years later, the individuals who actually meditated for a while will understand the nuance of what I'm saying. And it's the same way in the book. You know, in the, the, uh, the, whether it's the life visioning process or in the book I'm, I'm writing, there's certain things that's right there. If you're a beginner, you'll absolutely get what I'm saying. But if you've been meditating for a number of years, then there's something else you'll see that you won't, you couldn't see unless you've actually sat and done the vision process for a while or actually meditated. So it's for me, it's just more of an awareness that I'm speaking to a wide variety of individuals. And so sometimes I'll even stop and I'll say, I know somebody here today is, uh, doesn't have a job. And so I'll, 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 I'll actually stop and break down whatever I'm speaking about in the language of somebody who doesn't have a job. And this is how you apply this particular principle. Or I'll say, or I'll think about somebody who's been practicing for a number of years, and I'll say, for those of you who've been practicing for a number of years, you may be thinking X, Y, and Z, but I want you to catch underneath what I'm saying is this, you know. So it, it just kind of flows like that, and then everyone kind of gets uh, what they need. But I'm also aware on another level that there's another level of communication that's happening that's on a meta level that's beyond my words that through their listening and through our connection on the invisible level, they're being taught by their higher self. 
and they get to catch and hear what they need to hear, sometimes individuals will hear something that I'm not even verbally saying, and they're hearing it from themselves. I'm just creating the space and the energy for them to listen to their own higher self teach them. And they'll say things like, Dr. Beckwith, I really appreciated what you said when you said thus and so. It really changed my life. And I know I didn't say that, but they heard it because that's what they needed to hear. And they were getting that from themselves, mm-hmm. you see. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the energy in the room, the field that was created in the room, uh, and their listening provided the context for them to hear what they needed to hear as well. You're listening to Insights at the Edge, produced by Sounds True. We welcome you to learn more about our collection of more than a thousand learning programs and receive two free gifts just for visiting us. Just go to soundstrue.com backslash free gifts. That's soundstrue.com backslash free gifts. And now back to Insights at the Edge. Now, you mentioned how in your own life, through a series of awakenings, you've become familiar with this level of being consciousness. I'm curious, have you felt, though, that there have been sort of strands of you that might still be stuck in something like victim consciousness? And you meet it 10 years later or 20 years later, and you go, oh, my God, there's still this part of me that feels like a victim in this situation. I would never have thought so. Or at a certain point, is that just gone? That level just doesn't show up anymore. You know, I, I probably don't identify it as victim, but I think there's um, places in me where I will go through terrific cleansings and upheavals. And I guess at that moment it may feel like victim, but I think because I'm familiar with the process, that I don't, I don't call it that. I just am aware that there's a tremendous amount of angst. There's a tremendous amount of uh, just upheaval emotionally going on. And I'm aware that I'm in process. And probably uh, years ago, I may have identified as being victimized by some perception. Now I'm aware that I'm in the process. And I, I, um, I seek to be still and embrace it. And see what see what what lie I'm telling myself, what uh, what's being cleansed out. Um, yeah, interesting. I'm hoping so, and praying that it doesn't yeah. last a long time. <laughs> yeah. So I'm I'm curious. Can you tell me about a cleansing or upheaval? Maybe something that happened not so terribly long ago. Oh, let me see. Um, uh, and it, it comes periodic. Um, let's see if I can put up my finger on it. If I had my my spiritual journal in front of me, I could probably just go right to it. Um, Well, I'll tell you why I think it's so important to talk about it, too, MBB. And the reason is I think sometimes people think, oh, that person's reached being consciousness, and that's sort of the end of the road for them, and there are no more upheavals or cleansings. And, you know, I I think this is an important thing to bring forward. This is an ongoing process. And because we are here, I like to say that we are radical, unique expressions of infinitude. And so this is always this is an ongoing process, 
and so uh, since spiritual growth and development is not about gaining anything, it's always about releasing something. There's always release, and sometimes the release is mild and sweet and wonderful, and sometimes the release is chaotic and, and nasty and, and doesn't feel good. And, um, you know, I, I probably, within the last a month, within a month ago, I can remember um, feeling somewhat separate uh, from the Divine Presence and uh, wanting to say, you know what, I really don't want to go into that. I really don't want to go speak. Uh, I'm not really up to it. And um, and then noticing, you know, the, the uh, solar plexus, being in a state of upheaval, a level of agitation, uh, tiredness of the body temple, mental fatigue, um, and then in that moment going up and releasing, and then at that moment being more in uh, stage three, where uh, you know uh, something is operating through me, and I'm thinking I'm really blowing it, and people telling me, God, that was one of the best uh, moments I've ever seen you in. And I'm knowing that uh, I wasn't in gear with it. It was actually coming through me. But I'm knowing, I'm, I'm wondering how it came off, you know, because I'm, my mind's not engaged. It's not operating on all cylinders. Uh, I'm feeling that I'm inarticulate, not fluent or fluid. But, but, I, but I've in, in, surrendered to this, this presence. And people are saying, wow, that was great. But inside, I'm feeling, no, it's not great. I'm, in, I'm disconnected, uh, uh, you know. And then immediately just wanting to go home and just uh, be in my room and, and just kind of uh, work with myself until I come back to a level of coherence. And so there are those moments. And um, in the beginning of those moments, years ago, you know, when that first happens, we make a federal case out of it. You know, our stuff is up. What does this mean? We analyze the thought, you know, what perception is being cleansed out. Where is this from? Is this from childhood stuff? Is this a false belief? You know, we analyze it. And then as years go on, I, we don't make a federal case out of it as much. We just know that we're going through it. And um, I, I'm not ashamed to look at some of the people around me that are strong supporters and and ask for help and say, hey, I'm going through something right now. Just hold me in a wonderful space, you know, and um, and go on about my business. That's very helpful. Thank you. Now, I think we've done a pretty good job of laying out these four progressive stages. Can you tell us how the process of life visioning works within this map? The actual process of, is it coming up with a vision for my life? I want to find the right job, I want to find the right partner? How does that work? Right. Well, I'll delineate it from um, visualizing, first of all. Visualizing is stage two, where you actually uh, say what you, you what you want, and you mentally see it, embrace it emotionally as if you already have it, and seek to manifest it. That uh, that that stage is, is, a, is, a, is a sweet stage of growth. The only difficulty with that stage is that sometimes what you manifest is obsolete by the time it manifests, and sometimes an individual really doesn't know what they want. Um, they, they, they think they want uh, an ideal of success that they've inherited from society or from their parents, and so they end up manifesting uh, things that two or three years later they actually pray to get rid of. And so in stage three, um, 
there's a difference. I have it in the book too. There's a wonderful statement that I that's in there. I happened to open up to the page when I looked through the book yesterday, and I was glad that I got it in there. There's a difference between what you should be and what you're meant to be. What you should be comes from external authority figures, and when you accomplish it, your ego says, I've done it. What you're meant to be is something that unfolds from within you, and when it occurs, there's a level of gratitude and humility. And so stage three, visioning, you're actually opening yourself up to what you're meant to be. And that is, just as an acorn is meant to be an oak tree, according to that unique pattern, uh, we're radically unique expressions of the infinite, and there, there's, there's what we're meant to be. There are gifts and talents and capacities and ways we're to express the qualities of this presence that only that only we can we can do it in a unique way. And so the vision process begins with uh, really questions that sensitize our spiritual faculties, so that. Uh, allows us to, um, you know, for instance, in the sensorium, the sensorium, our eyes, uh, our ears, our taste, our smell, touching. Uh, these are prosthetics of spiritual faculties of being able to actually see the invisible and to hear the inaudible and to, to feel that which is intangible. And so when we ask the right questions in the vision process, we're actually cultivating the ability to begin to see again from the spiritual domain so we can we begin to ask you know what is what is what is the vision for my life what is what is the, the god's idea of itself as my life and if we ask that sincerely enough times from a meditative context we begin to activate a faculty not just what we can see with our eyes but we begin to catch what we're meant to be, we're going to catch something that's within us. Uh, uh, analogies are sometimes dangerous, uh, but if a, if, a, if, a, if a caterpillar were to go into a vision process and say, what am I meant to be, it would begin to catch uh, a, a little bit of a butterfly. Oh, I think I'm, I'm seeing wings here. I'm seeing, I'm seeing myself flying, you see. We begin to catch something symbolic or on a feeling level or on a, a visual level or a mental level, a hearing level, inwardly hearing something, begin to catch smatterings of something. And as we do this on a regular basis, uh, we're, we're sensitizing our inner faculty to rightly see the invisible and to ultimately hear the, the inaudible. And And then as we begin to go through the rest of the vision process, which has something to do with the willingness to be to become something more in consciousness, to access the the gifts that we already have, to release patterns and thoughts that are no longer necessary, to amplify our willingness and to amplify our sacred yes factor and to introduce states of gratitude. As we go through the whole process, we're, we become more available to living life from the inside out rather than from the outside in. And then what happens is we find ourselves after a period of time kind of in a, a, a um, we're in that a kind of a that kind of state a lot, even though we're not formally in the vision process. We're living from that question a lot. What's trying to emerge in my life? What's trying to happen right now? What gift is trying to be birthed in my life? What faculty is trying to come forward? 
And now we're living life from a much more empowered state rather than from the victim state or rather than from just trying to make something happen with my mind. I'm more available to what I'm meant to be. It's more of a it's it's more humble. It's more grateful. It's a different it's a different way a different light, way of living. And now I know you've taught thousands of people this process of life visioning. What do you see when you teach people seem to be the biggest obstacles? Patience. Oftentimes people want to hurry up and and get it and go do something without being able to clearly articulate or feel their vision. They want to just hurry up and manifest something. And uh, and so we need to exercise a degree of patience. And, and then once we're able to uh, articulate to a degree what's trying to emerge in our life and begin to feel it and begin to walk with it to a degree, there's what I call compelling right action. We're almost compelled to do the right thing. Uh, we become a paramagnetic field that then radiates into our life. People, circumstances bend uh, for us. Things change because our inner dynamic is different. And so I think it's like there's an old statement, um, infinite patience brings about immediate results. That that when we're really aligned with the vision and we have a level of patience around it, this, it doesn't mean inaction. You know, uh, Plotinus, as quoted by Ernest Holmes, you know, once said uh, that um, 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 to he who can p- most perfectly practice inaction, to him all things are possible. So it's like a, but that inaction is not laziness or lethargy or apathy. It's a, it's an, a, a mental. The mental agitation is gone. It's a, it's a different kind of inaction that brings about right action. And so the vision process allows us to go into a level of inaction, but it's a, it's a different kind of action from the inside out where we're seeing something, we're able to clearly articulate it and feel it, and then it brings about its own action. It's like we cannot not act once we touch that realm. It sounds like part of what you're saying is that people often jump to the operational side of how can I make this all happen before they're even clear that the thing they're making happen is really, to use your language, quote-unquote, meant to do. Absolutely. Uh, when, I, when I was uh, uh, forming Agape and I was utilizing the vision process, and we sat for months, you know, no business plan, no operation plan, no going looking for buildings, None of that. It was all inner work. Uh, what does the vision look like? How can we become the vision? And so the people that got bored with the question, what must I become in order to manifest this vision known as agape, they left. You know, they, didn't want, they, wanted, they wanted to do something else. They wanted to get the business plan together. They wanted to go out on a search and find the building to start agape. They wanted to, you know, go out and fundraise. They wanted to do all of these operational things. And so when those people left, I was left with a core group of people who wanted to become agape in consciousness. They wanted to become individuals that could really hold the space of unconditional love. They wanted to become the space of individuals who could really love people that didn't look like them, that could uh, um, be servants and um, 
you know, whatever the, the, that kind of energy. And and at the right moment, when that that group of people um, really felt like that, then it would it became we almost knew that it was time to to go to the next step. You know, what must we do? And then we went into the operation of it. But the people who couldn't sit long enough were gone. And then, interestingly enough, then we started to actually do movement. Okay, we've got to look for a building. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. Then those people came in handy. But they weren't the vision holders or the leaders of the beginning structures of departments and ministries. Those were being held by the people who were actually holding the template and the vibration of the vision, who had gone through the inner process, who had become the vibration themselves, you see. Because the main thing around visioning is you cannot have what you're not willing to become in consciousness. Because even if you get something, this is true for stage two, even if you get it, if you're not really vibrating at that level, you're going to lose it. You can temporarily manipulate and steal, manipulate, dominate, and get something. But then you're going to have to use that same kind of energy to keep it. But once you become it in consciousness, somebody can steal it from you, but it's going to come back because that's who you are. For an example, to make that concrete, like becoming receptive to a certain amount of love in your life or something like that, it's something that you meditate on till you feel comfortable with it? Or what do you mean exactly by becoming it in consciousness? <clears throat> Absolutely. It's a, it's a meditative process. For instance, using agape as an example again, so what is what you know? I would say, you know, what is the vision of agape? And that people would would begin to share. You know, agape is a place of unconditional love, etc., etc., etc. And um, what must I become in order to manifest this vision? Then people would introspect, without censorship or denial, and they would look within themselves and they would see where they could not hold that particular frequency. Uh, they were um, impatient with people. They, they, uh, I can remember one individual, uh, I still remember this to this day, was very nervous about the beginning of Agape because she liked the small, intimate group in my living room. But she had to become loving of new people in order for Agape to grow. She didn't want new people to come in. She liked the small group of people and the people that she knew and felt safe with. But in order for Agape to be a community, it meant that new people would have to come in. So she had to look at herself and actually challenge the part of herself that uh, kept people at bay, that everyone else was a stranger, and and actually embrace uh, other people in her life. So we would, uh, we people would have to look at themselves to see them what they them what, what they personally would have to become in order to manifest whatever the vision is, if it's love if it's a prosperity, if it's health. Everyone has their own blocks, their own hindrances, their own blind spots. And when you ask the question, within us, we know those blind spots. We may hide themselves, hide them from ourselves. But when we ask the questions with sincerity, they pop in our awareness. And then we embrace them and we become willing to challenge them and go beyond them. Now, there's a quote from the Life Visioning book that I'd love you to comment on. Here we go. The primary atmosphere of life visioning is a feeling tone of incomparable love. Mm. Absolutely. We begin every vision process with awareness of 
unconditional love, this, the total givingness of the presence. And so just as I did 26 years ago, and we continue to do, I invite people to go to a place where they feel that and find a time in their life where they were in the field of unconditional love. It could have been a moment when they were with a grandparent, a friend, someone that regardless of whether you had made a mistake or regardless of you whether you had done something very great, they just loved you anyway. The love wasn't based on a merit or demerit system. It was just love. And to build upon that feeling tone. And then that becomes the foundation of the vision process, that this presence, by whatever name you choose to call it, love is a total givingness without any sense of withhold. And so we base the vision process on that kind of love, to get into that feeling tone so that that which is seeking to emerge is emerging in a field of love, a field of self-love and appreciation, that we're not hindering it in any way with any sense of self-loathing, lack of self-worth, lack of self-esteem. We and, and, and it may not come all full bloom in the first session, but we eventually build into it until we actually can hold the field of of love. And and love is not a sweet sentimentality. It's a it's a powerful, total givingness without any any withholding whatsoever. And it seems to me that what you said about receiving what we're quote-unquote meant to be versus Mm -hmm. what we think we're supposed to be, that somehow that's related to receiving whatever kinds of instructions we might in an atmosphere of this kind of love. Absolutely. The, 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 The grace, which is also the total givingness, uh, in that kind of love, we can hear it. We can he- hear it better. It's a. Uh, I, I often say it's a. Um, the angel of evolutionary progression is whispering within our ear that you that you're more than you think you are. And if you and if you you listen in that atmosphere of love, you can begin to hear the the sweet uh, pulling of what you're meant to be, and it's beyond what society can give you beyond what your parents have told you because you know from the time we're born we're 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 being pulled to acclimate to the society in which we're living i mean of course to a certain degree for our survival we have to but our reason for being here is more than just fitting into society our reason for being here is is releasing our gifts so that society evolves because we're here and if society stays the same while you're here, then you haven't released your gift. You've just acclimated, but you haven't felt the love and the tenderness of the Spirit within you gently pulling you to be more yourself, which is sometimes a frightening proposition when you quite don't know yourself yet. And B.B., I just have one final question for you. We've been talking about this four-stage model in terms of an individual, their process, and I'm curious how you see it potentially as a collective process. Do you think that as a world community, we're moving through anything like these stages? And where are we now? And how do you see this as a collective phenomenon? 
Well, of course, you know, when you, when you look at the globe and the planet uh, collectively, there, there's people all across the globe in different different stages of consciousness. You have people operating from the level of survival and not even considering their evolution yet because they have to figure out how they're going to eat tomorrow, all the way to people who have way more than they need and have enough time to experience art and beauty and, and, and spiritual practice and every stage in between. But uh, <clears throat> But on the whole, I would say that there is uh, something uh, that is emerging now on the planet. I, I, I believe that um, we are, um, as someone once said, we're, we're hospicing old structures that no longer serve us, and we're midwifing a new energy on the planet at this time in human history, and that we're um, coming into a place where we're realizing that life as it has been is unsustainable, that we, particularly in the Western world, we have used the powers of manifestation to gain and to get, to control, to manipulate, to hoard, and even um, structures, banking structures, Wall Street, etc., who had so much, uh, preying on uh, individuals who had little, uh, just to get more. Those structures are unsustainable. And so they're dissolving in front of ourselves. I mean, with a generation in our lifetime, we cannot say the phrase, you can take that to the bank. In the 50s, that was a powerful state, a statement, 60s. You know, you can take that to the bank. People wouldn't dare say that now because banks are failing, plus uh, banks aren't necessarily service models to the population. They, they prey upon the population based on a model of greed and scarcity. And so... We're in the process of birthing something else, and that something else that's being birthed will be built upon the platform of plentitude and abundance, whereas right now the old model has been built upon scarcity and lack. I think we're in the middle of that kind of flux, where the old is dying and the new is being born, and so it appears to be very chaotic right now. And so uh, I see uh, an emergence uh, and a reemergence of the values of community, compassion, taking care of each other, uh, art and beauty, uh, resourcefulness, innovativeness, individuals coming out of the victim stage or looking outside themselves to governments and uh, things of that particular nature to take care of them, and uh, coming into much more innovativeness based on necessity and much more creativity based on necessity and taking care of each other based on necessity and birthing a higher order of being. I think we're in that process. And then just to end, I can't help myself. I'm going to ask, could you give us a blessing for life visioning in our life and even further its impact in our social structures? Yeah, absolutely. You mean a, a prayer for the, yeah. for the people who are listening yes. to, the, to this conversation? Yes, if you would, please. I absolutely would love to. Throw me into the briar patch <laughs> on that. This is what happens when and, you're um, a reverend, you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. That's my, my calling. And so in this moment, I invite us just to stop in this moment. And wherever we are, we just take a breath. And we allow this breath to be a talisman that every time we notice we're breathing, it it pulls us back to our authentic self. 
not merely the personality construct, but the self with the capital S, the self that is a continuum of life itself that was never born and will never die. And we enter into the space of such gratitude and thanksgiving for being an expression of existence itself. And we give ourselves permission to be grateful in this moment, to be thankful in this moment for anything at all or nothing at all. And from this consciousness of gratitude and thanksgiving, it is my joy and my privilege to speak the word, which is now a law unto itself that only knows its own fulfillment, for everyone listening to this conversation. Knowing that we're connected on the invisible side of life, and as I am being lifted up in this rarefied atmosphere of absolute truth of my being, I speak the word lifting each and every individual that's listening into levels of excellence and well-being, safety and harmonizing prosperity, beauty and love beyond their wildest imagining. I know that the word that I'm speaking is a law unto itself that only knows its own fulfillment and is a law of elimination that, that dissolves anything that would hinder, delay, obstruct, or deny the fullness of life from expressing through us right now. And this life includes beauty. This life includes love. This life includes joy and harmony and happiness. This life includes harmonizing prosperity, health, and well-being. Joy, wisdom, and guidance flowing through us in a language and in a way that we can understand and act upon. The entire universe is conspiring on its own behalf for our freedom, that it may release life energy through us and come into its own as us. And so we give thanks that this moment is another moment where we get to say yes to life. Yes to beauty. Yes to joy. Yes to health. Yes to harmony. Yes to well-being. And beyond our wildest imagination, we can allow good to take over our existence. This is my prayer. And I speak it with the authority of one knowing that all that there is is truly a manifestation of the only thing that there is, which is the power and the presence of life itself. I give thanks for this. I feel grateful. And I let it be now and unto forevermore. And so it is. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. I've been speaking with Michael Bernard Beckwith. He's the author of a new book from Sounds True on life visioning. It's a very pioneering book, a book that really goes into quite some depth about these four different stages of consciousness and offers a full instruction in the life visioning process, a transformative process for activating your unique gifts and highest potential. MBB, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much. It is absolutely my joy being with you. And um, You're heavy, deep, and real, man. I love it. Thank you so much, Tammy. It's my joy collaborating with you on this wonderful uh, excursion into bringing life visioning to the masses. Soundstrue.com. Many voices, one journey. Thanks for listening. <laughs>